0: So, on Tuesdays, Mondays or Tuesdays, I typically send out the Scripture that we're going to be in, and this week I sent out the Scripture, and then I immediately got text from people in the congregation, and they said, you're really going to preach on that? Well, we're going through the Beatitudes, so I'm not going to skip it. Now, every desire in me wanted to skip this week's Scripture, but as we go through the Beatitudes and we go through the Sermon on the Mount, um, we're going to address it. And the reason why I wanted to skip this topic is I realized that this topic has likely affected everyone in this room to uh, many degrees. So the topic today is divorce. Divorce has affected most of, if not everyone, within this room. So it's hard to want to preach about it because it's within our nature to want to be liked by people and not want to be uh, offensive, but God's word is truth, amen? So scripture in 2 Timothy says this, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So today's scripture is um, God's word that can sharpen us and bring life to us. So, with that being said, I'm going to take a stab at it today, and um, we'll see if I'm still your pastor after this. Uh, Let's pray. Father, um, yeah, unique topic today, but you have such a desire for healthy marriages. Father, you have such a desire for a covenant and a commitment through the good, through the bad, through the ugly. And I pray that today that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, uh, fertile soil within our hearts, and feet that want to run with obedience. Father, may we walk out of here with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's some unique statistics that I want to bring up about divorce, um, I guess, before we get started. But almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in a divorce or separation. Research estimates that 41% of all first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages end in divorce, 73% of third marriages end in divorce. So it seems like the more times that you try, the less likely you are to succeed. Um, This is what's really crazy. Every 13 seconds, there is one divorce in America. That equates to 277 divorces per hour. Um, Six sorry, 6,000 646 divorces per day, 46,523 divorces per week, and 2.5 million per year. So more than 554 divorces occur during your typical romantic movie rom-com, which is two hours. There are nine divorces in the time it takes for a couple to recite their wedding vows or for me to go through my ABCs. (laughs) Um, The average first marriage that ends, it usually lasts eight years or under. People are 75% more likely to end their marriage if their friends are divorced. So you better hang out with good friends, right? If your friends are getting divorces, it doesn't mean that you, aren't, you shouldn't be their friends anymore, but you probably shouldn't take their marriage advice. Amen? And then social media sites, sites such as Facebook are mentioned in the pleadings of more than half of all divorces in the country. Isn't that crazy? He won't give me his Facebook password, so I'm out. Or Snapchat, that's why we don't have that Snapchat silly thing. You guys hear me ramble about that all the time. Nothing good happens on Snapchat, just like nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Those are some alarming statistics about divorce. Now, again, what I recognize is divorce has probably affected everyone at some degree within this room. So, don't hear condemnation today, because there's hope. And we're going to get to that. And really, what Jesus is getting at here on the Sermon on the Mount is the attitude that the Pharisees have towards divorce. The attitude that the Pharisees were creating about divorce. So it's important for us to remember what the big picture is that Jesus is talking about here. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus transforming Israel's understanding of how to make it to heaven. See, the Pharisees had this idea of what life should look like for them. But Jesus is saying, no, there's something completely different. See, he's already said that for one to enter into heaven, they must have righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees. He's also letting them know that or he's also letting them know on the mountain that day that it's not about following man's oral laws, the Mishnah. It's about following a greater law that's at work. It's about living a life that at the core is following and connected to the Spirit of God. So Jesus is letting us know today that his standards are much higher than that of man-made oral laws so two weeks ago we learned that anger is subject to judgment just as murder is that's a hard thing to deal with isn't it see because jesus said you've heard it said that if you murder someone that's a sin but what jesus said is it's much deeper if you're even angry with someone you might as well you not might as well have killed them but your anger is still subject to judgment. So he said that a couple weeks ago. He also said that it's not about just committing adultery, right? That's the sin. He actually says anyone who's looked after a woman with lust has committed adultery. So what the Pharisees were doing is the Pharisees were actually trying to say, well, I haven't committed adultery because I've never taken the action, and I've never committed murder, so I've never committed um, that type of crime, so I'm right with God. And what Jesus is trying to say in the Sermon on the Mount is it's not about just doing these things that most people don't do— It's actually about your heart. Is your heart connecting with Jesus today? So Jesus is letting us know that his standards are much higher than the Mishnah. So what was really going on here is the Pharisees are setting aside God's rules for their personal gain. And we have to ask that too. How many rules within the scriptures do we set aside for our personal gain? See, the Pharisees, essentially what they're doing is they're looking for loopholes. In a walk with Christ is not one that should ever be looking for loopholes. A walk with Christ should be fully exposed because his mercy is greater. So we must ask ourselves the hard question. We can ask ourselves rhetorically right now, are we setting aside God's standards to look for loopholes like the Pharisees? Are we justifying our actions at work when we interact with people, at school when we interact with our teachers and friends? So today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna specifically look at two verses. If you don't have your Bibles, you can find it on the screen. Matthew 5, verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So we read that and we often get confused by what does that mean for us today? And what we also recognize is almost 50% of all first-time marriages end in divorce. And I think all of us in here want to try to serve God. We want to try to honor God. So what does this mean for me today? What was Jesus intending for them back then? See, Jesus is now using divorce as an illustration on how the Pharisees are looking for loopholes rather than for God's heart. <clears throat> See, when we read scripture, we should never be looking for um, what we can get away with. I remember back in high school, a lot of my friends would ask <clears throat> our youth leader, so what's, what's too far with, with my girlfriend? <clears throat> what's too far with my boyfriend? How many youth have ever asked their youth pastor that in here? You're smart for not raising your hand. <laughs> right? We'd ask those questions. What's too far? And then often when it comes to tithing, you know, people ask that question. Well, what, what's the minimum that I have to give? See, that that's not even the heart of tithing. See, even within tithing, it's about trusting God with your resources, about trusting God with your finances. Not about what can, I do, what can I do the very least so that then I can spend the rest on whatever I want. Actually, all the money that we spend should go before God first, amen? Nothing is ours. Anything that we have has been given by him. So what's unique is we have to look for God's heart in all the Scripture. Again, I wanted to skip this week's Scripture because I know it's a sensitive matter. I recognize that the word divorce has even triggered some of our emotions already. Many lives have been impacted by divorce. It often leaves people feeling embarrassed, shameful, and pain. But despite that, we must look at God's Word in His perspective. Jesus in these two Verses is discussing a much larger topic. See, murder wasn't the main topic, it was the person's heart. And see, adultery and lust wasn't the main topic, it was the person's heart. Now, as we address divorce, it too isn't the main topic. There's something much larger going on here. Jesus wants to address the heart of someone giving up on their commitment. Macy and I are going on 10 years. We love each other. Like, I love her so much. And and as a confession, I sometimes wonder if Macy becomes an idol in my life because of how much I love her. You're like, well, how can your wife become an idol? Well, sometimes I just like hanging out with her more than I do God. Right? And what does God tell us? You must be willing to hate your father, hate your mother, hate your brother, hate your sister, have, have, have everything else pale in comparison to your relationship with him. But in spite of Macy and I almost being married for 10 years, what I recognize is this, is we've gone through a lot of hard stuff. Why? Because we're human beings and we're selfish. And in those moments, it's not that we've ever um, even brought up the word divorce, but what we recognize is there's some days you're just like, forget about you, woman. Like, I just want to drive to Florida and give up on everything and just go live my life there. Anyone ever felt that way with their spouse in the room today? <laughs> we'll just do marriage counseling in here too. <laughs> we we'll want just get it all done. You get to these moments and you're like, I just want to give up. I don't want to be here. Right? And in those moments, what I realize, and in the heart of what Jesus wants to share with the Pharisees today when he's preaching, is this. is His commitment is far greater to us And therefore, in our marriage, we need to be just as committed to our spouse as he was committed to you and I. Amen? See, your spouse's sin against you pales in comparison to your sin against God. And God has not given up on you today. Amen? So what Jesus is addressing is, look, Pharisees, you're looking for loopholes of how to get out of divorce When my commitment to you was so much that I'm willing to die on the cross for you. So, if Jesus was willing to lay down his life for his bride, which is you and I, what excuse do we have to give up on our spouse? We don't. But what the Pharisees were doing, they were looking for those loopholes. So there was something much greater going on here. Jesus wants to address their commitment. See, in verse 31, Jesus states, It has been said, not as it is written. Jesus said this because he was quoting the Mishnah, which is the oral law. In in this, Moses states that any man who divorces his wife is required to give her a certificate of divorce. Now, how many of you guys have participated in, how many of you guys have ever heard of the certificate of divorce within the Bible? So I've heard about it, um, read about it, of course, studied it. And often when I've heard it, um, I don't know if it's been taught right or not, but it almost felt as if it was taught that there is an exception within this scripture for divorce. And I do not believe that that's the case. Now, there is an exception in Matthew 19. We're not in Matthew 19 today. But I do not believe that God's heart was to ever give an exception for divorce. So, yeah, verse 31 says, it has been said, not as it's been written, but verse 32 says that anyone who divorces his wife makes her a victim of adultery. So how is it that in two verses, they almost contradict one another? See, one says, you can get a certificate. The other one says, now you're making her commit adultery. What's going on here? Was Moses affirming the idea of divorce? So for now, we will focus on understanding Jesus' main point. So Jesus quotes from the Mishnah, it was said. He was really paraphrasing from Deuteronomy 24. Now, why would Moses say something that then Jesus is completely opposing? Why would Moses say you could get a certificate, but now Jesus is like, but if you get a divorce, you're committing adultery. For us to understand that, we need to understand culture the culture of the day, the ancient East. Essentially, back in the day, women had no power or they had no legal rights. They couldn't own land or business. They certainly didn't have a vote. They didn't possess the same upper body strength as men. So working as a farmhand was not an option for them either. So they couldn't own, they couldn't vote, they weren't strong enough to work on the farm. So really there was no way for women to provide for themselves. Essentially, they were just um, man's, um, man's woman, right? I don't know how else to say it. They, they couldn't do anything. Meatloaf, woman. Meatloaf and kid... Uh, Go deal with the kids. Who knows what it was? And I know some of y'all husbands still try to pull that today. If that's your husband today, just raise your hand. (laughs) Let's pray for Travis. (laughs) He walks in the door. All right. So essentially, women didn't have many rights back in the day. So there was no way for a woman to find a way of living unless she was supported by her father or by her husband right a young woman would live with her parents until she was married once she was married her father tra- transferred the support from him to the husband for the rest of her life this would be called leave and cleave you will leave this family and now you're cleaving with a new family if her husband died she would live with a son or a brother-in-law. Yet, Jesus is talking about divorce here and not being widowed. What would happen if the husband got bored or mad at the wife and divorced her? This meant that now she's in a life or death situation. Not only did she lose her husband, but now she's going, um, not going to have any way of survival. Why? She can't own a business. She doesn't have a vote. She's not strong enough to work in the fields. So now, what's she going to do? During this time, there was no child support. There was no alimony. There was no divorce settlement. This woman would be kicked out with some clothes and not much money to do anything. And the culture would say that she likely couldn't go back to her dad's house because she was legal property of her husband's. So she was unable to work, had no money, no settlement, can't go to her dad's, and legally, by God, she is still married. So really what this meant is no decent man, decent is important too, no decent man would Offer her hospitality because there's no way that a decent man would spend a private night or a private moment with a married woman. So, even though she was kicked out, no man in his right mind would spend time with her because any man um, in a private moment with a married woman would be adultery. Adultery, then, in that culture, is um, punishable to murder. So no man in his right mind is going to say, let me bring in this woman and help her because he's saying that's going to be me then in my life sentence. Make sense? So what's the woman to do? Essentially, um, what this meant is if a man divorced his wife, there was little to no hope for her. Now, In ancient culture, what would happen is men would often leave their wives because they were bored or saw something else they liked. Not much changed, has it? A lot of guys, a lot of families just get bored, and they go to the next thing, and that's really sad. So because that would happen, there was little to no remorse for women as they were kicked out without any support. Though her only opportunity was for survival was to be at the mercy of outsiders, family members, or a life as a beggar. Stories that you can find similar to that in the Bible is Ruth and Naomi. So what, what, what's happening here in verse 31 and 32 is, is, is somehow, in, in Deuteronomy 24, somehow we have to correct the injustice to these women. See, God still wants there to be a purpose for these women. He doesn't want them that once they get divorced for them just to die, right? He's created them for a reason to make an impact within this world. So how do you correct this injustice? Because at the end of the day, We are not robots. God recognizes that he tells us to do a lot of things, and many people are disobedient. So what what he's saying is, look, I recognize that men are still going to divorce women no matter what, and based upon the culture, we have to allow women some kind of opportunity for survival. So how does God try to fix that idea? Or not fix it, but offer a remedy? It was Deuteronomy 24 that a a divorce certificate must be given. So it should be on the screen, verse 24, sorry, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. So the question has to be, was this God permissing divorce? And essentially, that's what the Pharisees took this verse as. They said, because God mentioned it here in Deuteronomy 24, then what that means is I can come up with reasons why it's okay with me to leave my woman and be justified by God. And that's not what was happening. God was not permissing divorce. This is God saying that if a man is not going to follow his covenant with his wife, then he is to give her a certificate that she may possibly find a means of life with another man. Remember, she is legally her she is legally his husband. So without a certificate, no man would have interest in being with her or it would be adultery this certificate would be the husband showing some kind of mercy to her. So to be explicitly clear one more time, the scripture was not God promising people to get a divorce. It was for a man to not leave his wife out for dead. The principle at work in Deuteronomy 24 is similar to a principle at work, um, is similar to the principle here at work in Matthew. But there's also this other principle at work in Exodus 22, verse 16. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride's price and she shall be his wife. So what we see here is we know that sex before marriage is a sin. That's called fornication. Yeah, in Exodus 22, God knows that men will continually sin this way. So he said this, that when this happens, that you must marry. Pay the price and marry. Obviously, this isn't God saying he approves of this type of sin, correct? So what I'm saying is, similarly, just because God says to write a certificate of divorce, that doesn't mean that he's approving of it. And to be clear here, yeah, this wasn't God saying that sex before marriage is okay, even if you marry that person. Likewise, he wasn't saying that divorce was allowed if you give your wife a certificate. Yet this is how the Pharisees chose to interpret Deuteronomy 24, that this was God giving us the freedom to make the decision of if we wanted to divorce or not, based upon us being bored. They decided to engineer the truth that they wanted. See, truth engineering is not biblical. You realize that? Uh, Macy recently just got a new job. She's working in Springfield. And last night, we were able to go enjoy a Christmas party with them, and it was a great time. And it's always a big coming out party when Macy has to share with people what her husband does, right? So it's usually a fun game. And um, so last night, some guy asked. I'm like, I'll give you three guesses. Three guesses for you to decide what I am. And what did he say? He said, government official. He said, stockbroker. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> wrong, wrong. And then there was one other. I don't remember what he said. I said, actually, I'm a pastor. And he said, you know what? My wife told me that when you walked in. Really? You already forgot? (laughs) And um, he ended up saying that he was an elder at his church and um, everything else. God bless you. So we began in this conversation, and essentially they were talking about how their church, is, he asked me, are you affirming or non-affirming at your church? And I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> what does that even mean? And um, yeah, we like to encourage people. Um, we like to affirm them in God's ways. And essentially what he was talking about is much of the agendas within the world does our church affirm sin or does our church not affirm sin? And um, we began in this conversation and I said, "Here's, here's how we would see sin, that a sin is a sin and God dictates what a sin is, I don't get to. There's no truth engineering that our church is going to do. And the moment that our church begins to truth engineer then we're no longer God's church, we're a church of human beings. And he just said, you know, that's not where our, where our church is. What we see is the way that culture is changing. The way that culture is changing, then we recognize we will not have a church unless we change. Well, that's not us here at our church. What we believe is that God dictates the truth and we are not going to truth engineer. Amen? Amen. We don't have to like it. I don't like a lot of the rules. But what I also recognize is my heart is deceitful above all else. So what we see the Pharisees desiring here is instead of following God's rules, their heart's desire was to say that they follow God, but then also truth engineer so that they can have the life, live the life that they want to live rather than live the life that God wants them to live. So we can't truth engineer, we can't justify our actions. See, it was them suggesting that God wouldn't have made this certificate if he didn't approve of it. So they decided to write the oral laws that justified reasons for divorce. So the Pharisees came up with a large list of rules of why they could divorce, none of them which were based upon Scripture. And they said, proceeded to suggest that they were equal to Scripture because they were the oral law. Now, listen to some of the oral law reasons that a husband could divorce his wife. If a husband wasn't pleased with his wife, he could just leave her. If he just decided he didn't like her anymore, he could leave her. And now listen to this one. If she burnt his soup, he could leave her that's crazy overburning soup or forgetting to put the DiGiorno's in right oh we're going to get a fire up here <laughs> thank you so men created all these reasons of why they could leave the woman, their wife. Yet these oral laws, these rules, were supposedly here as reasons to prevent divorce, when actually they were there to justify a reason for a man to be able to leave. So they were living as if God approved of these man-made rules because the Pharisees approved of them. But Jesus makes it plain in verse 32 of Matthew 5. Anyone, not those who are leaving their wife because of burnt soup or because they're bored or because they don't do whatever he says, anyone who divorces his wife makes her commit adultery because she is to seek shelter with another man. So in this scenario, the man made the wife adulteress because she now has to go be with another man for survival. But Jesus takes it even a step further. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I recognize this. There's many people in this room that have committed um, or that have gotten a divorce. So this is sensitive to us right now. There's hope. There's still hope, so keep on hanging in there. See, this had to be alarming to the people during this time because they must have assumed that the new husband was good if he had a certificate of divorce. Jesus was letting them know that the certificate didn't change anything about God's perspective. God's Perspective about marriage is that it will be a representation of his covenant to you and I. And no matter how crazy you think that your spouse is, he wants us to seek reconciliation, forgiveness, and life. Amen? Now, I say that not, I guess, not with a caveat for a reason, but I also understand that some marriages are abusive. Uh, Make sure that you're safe. Um, Yeah, some marriages are highly abusive physically, uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So seek help in those areas, right? But a lot of marriages end, and they never even seek counseling. They never seek help from the church because they think that they're the only people dealing with a marriage problem. No, every marriage deals with an issue because people are involved, every marriage will face a breaking point where you say, I want to give up. I think that the grass will be greener on the other side. There's no such thing as a marriage like Hollywood. So all you young people here today don't think that marriage is like that of some rom-com that you just watched. It's not. It's hard. It's tough. See, but what God wants is not just marriage for us to be happy together, but actually what marriage does is it brings sanctification to each individual as they become one. Amen? So when things don't go your way, and you're frustrated, and you're mad at that person, what God wants you to do is wake up the next day and love them. Be gracious to them and kind to them. So the marriage didn't end because they got a certificate. In God's eyes, they were still married. Jesus was letting them know that if they wanted to please God, that they would honor their marriage for a lifetime. Now, you're like, okay, well, why haven't you talked about the exceptions? Well, we don't have time today for the exceptions. But essentially, The exception would have been for a sexual sin with another person. What Jesus appears to be saying in the exception in Matthew 19 is a husband can't make his wife commit adultery if she beat him to it, right? Adultery already happened. Maybe one day we'll look at the exception. Maybe if you want to come meet for coffee or something, we can talk about the exception as well. But essentially, there was no exception. Because who in here has not committed adultery? Now, you're like, well, I haven't committed adultery. What we understand adultery is based upon a couple of weeks ago is adultery is looking at someone else with lust. In your heart, you've made a decision that you think that that person is really cute. So like for the, um, like, older than millennials, you're like Tom Cruise. Like, don't tell me you haven't looked at Tom Cruise and thought he was cute, <laughs> right? For those who are, like, millennials and younger, it's probably Justin Bieber, right? And any guy in the room is probably anything that has eyes and legs. So I'm just being honest. You pigs. Wife's like, preach. What appears, yeah, what Jesus appears to be saying is a husband... The exception is a husband can't make her commit adultery if she beats him to it. So divorce is a sin. Can we agree with that today? Divorce is a sin. But divorce isn't a sin that the blood of Jesus can't cover. Amen? Amen. Hear that today. See, Jesus died for those who call people fools. Jesus died for those who commit murder. Jesus died for those... Who are angry Jesus died for those who lust Jesus died for those who commit adultery Jesus died for those who are in addiction Jesus died for liars Jesus died for manipulators and Jesus died for those who are divorced the sin of divorce is forgivable amen all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God And as the body of Christ, it is not our job to judge someone for their past as we sit under the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. So there's no judgment today, but our job is to look at the truth and encourage one another to live in it. So today, if you are on the cusp of a divorce, if you're at the wit's end with your spouse... I would say that the word of God says, be committed to them and don't get a divorce. Seek help today. Marriage is a representation of Christ's commitment and marriage to us. So he doesn't want us to give up on marriage because he hasn't given up on us. Amen? Divorce is serious, and it is a representation of God. And his bride. So, through one of the um, studies that I've been doing, through the Beatitudes and Sermon on the Mount, there were some key takeaways about this specific um, idea of divorce. So, I want to read these key takeaways today for you, and then we're out of here. Number one is this: is the best way to interpret Scripture is with scripture, not our opinion, amen? We don't get to add to our opinion of what we think justifies us to be mad at someone, to divorce someone. We let scripture interpret scripture. Number two, God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate the divorcees. if you've been divorced in here, God loves you so much today. He's madly in love with you. Sin is always the reason for divorce, period. Marriage is permanent on earth, exclusive to a man and woman and an illustration of Christ and his church. Amen? Amen. That's the intent of it. Truth engineering doesn't allow you to escape our Lord's intentions. You can justify your guilty conscience all you want, but the truth is still the truth. The reason that our marriages aren't what they uh, were meant to be today is because we're not kingdom people living with a kingdom ethic towards one another. People don't have marriage problems. They have single people problems that they take into marriage. They have sin problems. The exception clause in Matthew 19 is not an exception clause. The exception or the expectation is reconciliation and remaining committed to the marriage covenant. Marriage is God's invention. Divorce is man's invention. If you are contemplating divorce, don't lose hope. No marriage is outside of God's reach today. Amen? If you are being abused, find safety. Immediately. If you have been divorced and remarried, confess to God ask his forgiveness, and embrace his grace. Don't beat yourself up over it. If you are divorced and are considering remarriage, take some time off. Lean deeply into Jesus. See his heart for divorce and reconciliation. And that his grace is really sustaining grace. And finally, being divorced doesn't prevent you from being a person who represents the king's heart. Amen? If being divorced meant that you couldn't represent God's heart, it would mean that none of us could represent God's heart in here. And one of the things that I shared with uh, my new friend last night was this. If sin disqualified us from leadership, all of us would be disqualified, and there wouldn't be one leader. There's not one This might be offensive, but hear my heart in it, don't hear my words. There's not one good person in here. Amen? Because the standard of good is that we have a holy and perfect King. Jesus is holy and perfect. And there was one good according to Scripture, and that was Jesus. So, what was Jesus addressing on the Sermon on the Mount? That the Pharisees are looking for loopholes in God's law once again. And that when it comes to marriage, it's a covenant that's permanent here on earth forever. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. I know that within my own heart that there can be tendencies, Father, to want to create exceptions, to want to create um, justification within my life for me to live however I want. I pray today that, that your blood and your word would invade those areas of our hearts where we want to live by our standard and not yours. I pr- pray for every marriage in here. that You would protect them from the schemes of the enemy. Father, that marriages would lay down their life. That those who are going through it right now, that they would seek help because they're not the only one that's ever faced this problem. Father, I pray that you would bless this trip today that we're taking with over 30 kids to the ark. I ask that you would get us there safely, that you would return us home safely, and that truly when we go there, that we would be in awe, that we'd have fun fellowshipping, that we would learn something, and that there would be greater surrender in our lives because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen.